The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. We as a church are being introduced to the Conquer series. And uh, just the name itself reminds us that we are in a battle, that each one of us is a soldier, and each one of us in Christ has a commander. And that commander, he wants us to know that he's completely holy and he's completely good. And he wants us to know that when we submit our lives to him, he will lead us in life everlasting. His desire is to bless us, not to harm us. And he wants us to find life in him. And it's important to know who he is and what he promises to give us the strength in the battle. Because if we're not sure about that, we will continually lose. One verse that I'd just like to uh, show you today. This is not the slides, guys. Can you put on the other ones? I think I know what this is a picture of. Can you guys guess? I'll let Terry tell you about that. The verse that I want to introduce you today is Psalm 16, verse 11. Just wait till it comes up here. But what it talks about is the, the life, the path of life. Give it one second, guys, because you want to see the images today. (laughs) How many of you have a growing understanding of God's love for you and desire to know him more? You don't have to raise your hand for that. that. But that's one of the key things in life right now, is knowing that God loves you and he desires for you to desire him more. And this is the kind of promise that God wants you to have instilled in your heart. Psalm 16, verse 11. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. That phrase, path of life, has come to mean a lot to me. And it's peppered all throughout Scripture. And it's one of the reasons why in our church, the ministry of discipleship and outreach falls under the banner of a name called Life Path. If you see it, it's because of verses like this that that God reminds us we're on a journey with him. And when we take that path that leads towards life, there's another path that leads to death. But Christ wants us to go towards life. So take the life path, journey on that, and journey on it together. So often when we read scripture, you'll see a lot of you's in the Bible. And often we interpret that meaning me. I read it this is what I should do, or this is the promise to me. But in the Bible, it's this is the promise for us. Most of the time, Jesus is talking to us. And we need to remember that as we envision a life together. What does it look like for us to grow in life together? Of course, there's my individual responsibility, but there is this corporate understanding that we mature as a body. We can't just grow in little pieces. We grow together. And so to help us think of that, sometimes imagery is very helpful. And I want you to think of the imagery of a mountain right now. Um, Mountains are beautiful. I find every time I'm in nature, I'm drawn towards God. And when I see mountains, I think of his majesty. I'm in awe. I, I just get exhilarated, especially when you get to go into the mountains. It's one thing to see a mountain, but when you're actually in a mountain or driving on a mountain, I took my motorcycle to Kelowna this summer. 
I can't tell you how much fun it is doing these curves around the mountain. And every time you get out of one, you're like, woo, it's great. And that's sort of the experience God says, you know what, I'm your mountain. I'm your rock. I don't want you to just look at me from afar and say, wow, he's, that's quite nice. I want you to experience me. And I want you to experience me together. That's why I exist and that's why I created you is to have life in me. I want to just share another verse with you. And this is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 2, verse 3. It says, Come, you people, and let us go up to the mountain of Jehovah, and he will instruct us about his ways, and we will walk in his paths. Over and over again in Scripture, God gives us the imagery of walking with him, journeying with him, of taking the life path. And I think he's a beautiful mountain that we need to explore together. And so the imagery that comes in our mind when we think of what does discipleship look like in White Ridge Baptist Church, it's, it's of a ski hill. Right now, this is best guess. It's of a ski hill. And I'm not, a, I'm not a great skier. I took our youth skiing for probably about 10 years. And I don't ever think I got past this area, which is like for the beginners. But it was so much fun. And uh, my youth would help me. They'd laugh at me when I'd fall, but they'd help me pick me up. And, but it was so much fun to just spend that time on the ski hill together. In that beginner area for me, that's exactly where I was. But there's also this larger area where there's so much more choice and decisions to make. And you have to explore the mountain a little bit better. That's probably the intermediate area. And way at the back, there's an area that's, that's focused on those who would probably be more the experts. They're able to, to do these really difficult paths. Uh, but one of the favorite places for me, actually, was the lodge on the, on the bottom. That's where I could be refreshed and restored. I could have something hot. And I could sit down. And for me, I could listen to the youth as they'd come in. And they'd tell me about their experience of the mountain. Sometimes it might be a little bragging about how good they were, but most of the time it was about talking about the mountain and how beautiful it was. And then they'd talk and they'd figure out where they want to go next. And they would do the same thing over and over again. They'd do something different. And it would often depend on who they were with. So if they were with me, some of my youth who were experts would be kind enough to take me to the beginning area and they'd love that time, hopefully. I'd imagine some of you as parents could relate to this. If you take your family skiing and your children are just young enough to start learning, you know that you'd like to go do some of the expert stuff and you'd do that for a while. But if you had to choose between that or the hill with your kids, you would say, in a heartbeat, I am so thankful that there's this section of the mountain that I can take my kids on and I can enjoy it with them. And I can say, look at the beauty of this mountain. Don't you want to do this for the rest of your life? And then we think about God and say, I want to help any person get a taste of the goodness of God. And I want to meet them where they're at. And I want to help them know who God is and see his beauty and want more of him. And God has designed us to want this in relationship with others. That's the core of who Jesus is. He's a Trinitarian God. He is complete love. He's complete unity. And he desires that for us in a broken and fallen world where all of us desire to belong, but we don't know how. He says, I have life for you in me with each other. I think it's a beautiful picture of discipleship. And, and I know that when people go skiing, they go back home to other areas and they tell people, oh, I just went here and it was beautiful. 
I think that's how it is in our faith when we go to work, when we go to school, when we play sports, whatever. We talk about the God we love, not because we have to, but because we, we just can't not talk about him when we know who he is and how we're finding life in him. And we want others to find life in him. So envisioning our life together, just a very simple statement. Our goal is to create a variety of paths where Christ-honoring relationships can be made and nurtured at a level of intimacy suitable for each person. And I think there's a few things that this depends on. There's three main factors. And the first one is a desired depth of sharing. We all come to church, and at different times, on different days even, we desire to share differently. Sometimes, we, it's lower intimacy. You know what, I just want to make some new friends. That's the biggest need in my life right now, is just to have a variety of new people in my life and, and make some friends. I, I want it to be developing, but I just need a, an easy entry. And some say, no, I'm looking for more intimate friendship right now. I'm looking for people that I can do life together with. I want to be sharing more about my ins and outs, uh, what I'm doing, life with my family. I'd, I'd like to have that when I come when I'm part of a church. And some of us come and just like Steve shared right now, said, I, I really need some high intimacy. I need some people that I deeply trust with deep parts of me, parts that I don't even understand yet. And I need to journey with people like that for a period of time. And all these different things can be happening at the same time of your life, but those are different focuses in different ways. We're very dynamic people because we have a very dynamic God. So one is a depth of sharing and the other is a, a, desi a desired size of group. Some of us just feel more comfortable in one group size than another. So, for example, some people, they just like big crowds. They like to be with a lot of people. It makes them feel comfortable. And they, it's easier to get to know people that way because you can mingle and you can linger. That's one of the reasons why we have come to the table, and I'll, I'll talk more about that soon. Some people say, you know what, what I need right now is I need a group of, I don't know, 8, 12 people that I can be sitting with and, again, discussing the Bible with, discussing my life with, getting to know them. And some people are saying, you know what I need right now is I need a, just a few really uh, close individuals to walk with me because I'm going through something hard or I'm going through something that almost overwhelms me because God has put something on my heart to move into and I want to pursue it, but it kind of scares me because it's a dream that's bigger than me because God is asking it of me. And, and I, I need people to, to lead me and encourage and, and, and hold me accountable to living out the purpose God has for me. So again, these are just, understand, this is generalities. Okay, but I think it helps us understand what life in church can look like. So, first of all, I think sometimes when we, we need to have environments in church where we say this is specifically for new relationships to develop. It, it's, not, it's not overly uh, complicated. It's very nice to get to know people. You don't feel threatened by anything that you're going to be asked and you're wondering, what's, what do I have to say? You just know that you're welcome and people want to get to know you. That's for new relationships. And often that works well when you have larger groups. And then for intimacy, sometimes, again, it is those groups of maybe 8 to 12. It's, there's no magic number. But there is something about when you have a smaller group of people that you can start getting deeper into God's Word. You can start praying together a little bit differently. You can start sharing your lives. And then we get into these relationships that are probably more like mentoring or mutual discipleship. And again, this might just be two, three, four people who say, yeah, in this season of life, 
I want to journey with you this way. And we need to think as a church, how are we providing these opportunities for one another? And uh, so I just want to highlight this. You know what, first of all, um, give you an illustration of how this works. I sometimes go to uh, a Jets game with a friend. And I'm always amazed that when I go there, there's so many people. He's glad to see everybody, and there's so many people that he knows by name. When we sit in his chairs, I'm amazed that in front of him, like five rows in front, he knows the names of people, they talk with each other, and then the people that are right around him, he often goes out for supper with them before the games, and I know that he deeply knows the people that he bought the tickets with. So in that one environment, there's all these different ways of belonging. I think that's what we need to realize. That's happening all the time. And, and just to think of this, is that the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him will live, even though he dies. So God loves everyone equally. We'd agree with that, right? God loves everyone. But God also had 70 disciples that he worked quite closely with, and he sent out two by two to go do ministry. And then he had 12 disciples that he spent more intimate time with. And then he had three close friends that, I have four on there, but it should say three. I typed that wrong. He had three that he brought to the Mount of Transfiguration, the Garden of Gethsemane. God loves us all equally, but he also spends time with us differently. And in his human form, when he was on earth, he was only able to do those kind of things. He had human limitations like we do now. That's gone now that he's in heaven and his Holy Spirit can reside in each one of us. That's a different story for Jesus and his Holy Spirit. But for us, we need to realize that it's okay to have different ways of belonging. And we need to ask God, where do you want me to invest my time in you and in others? Last thing is a, a desired purpose as, as far as a factor of finding these right pathways. And what I really want to highlight is that our purpose is always about journeying towards Christ. And as we're with him, then to go wherever he tells us and to do that more and more together. To stop living life less by myself and more with others for the sake of Christ and in his name. But with that, when we're serving Christ and when we're looking for a purpose, some of us just want to be together. We want to develop those deep relationships and that's our, our main purpose. Other people say, you know what, I really want to dig into the Word of God and I want help. I want to know how the Old Testament, every single thing throughout the Bible points to Jesus Christ. I don't see that on my own. I need help doing that and I, I want to help you as well. So some people want to learn together, serving together. Some of you are just wired to get out and serve. I'd say this really is that part about justice. You saw, see something that's an injustice and you say, I want to go serve and make it right. And other people say, well, I want to care for people. I think this is a lot of mercy. You see people who are hurting too, and, and you want to go, and where serving might be more about the task, the caring is more about maybe directly about the people. You're going, I want to be with these people. I want to show them love and mercy. And almost any group should have a mixture of all these things, but they, you, primary, you have a focus. You have one that you lean to more than others. And so in all our ministries, these are the ways that we're thinking. How can we be moving in this direction where we're understanding that life is dynamic and we want people to have a deep life in Christ and to be purposeful in how they spend their time with each other? So let's take this back to the imagery of the, of the mountain. How do these things relate to that? 
Well, in our church, I'd say that we need to create more and more what I'd call front porch experiences. Places where people can say, you know what, I don't know many people yet, but I want a nice environment where I can meet different people comfortably and be able to see who may I connect well with. Now, many things in the Connecting Point brochure revolve around that because we can plan and we can create those types of environments. That's what we have the ability to do. We can create environments and offer experiences where people can get to know each other to see if friendship can develop. And not all the things in the brochure are that, but a lot of them are. Come to the table is very much that, an idea where you can come and you can meet old friends, but you can meet new ones. And you can linger and you can start feeling, who do you have a, a potential really good friendship with? That's one of the reasons why we're offering Come to the Table. I, I just want to quickly encourage you, this last week we served over 160 people here. Man, praise God for the people who work in the kitchen and all of you who help to make it possible. This is true. If this doesn't work, that type of ministry does not happen unless there's skin in the game for all of us who attend. So when you hear these things and you think, you think, oh, that's great, the church has a plan, that's just the wrong way to be thinking. It's like, no, we have a growing plan. And we're just learning what it means to start thinking and, and, and making plans together. That's part of life together. And then the big part, that intermediate part of the slope, that's where we can spend a lot of our time. But there we as staff and pastors and leaders, we, we spend more time encouraging and equipping those who feel God giving them a place to go, the place that they're feeling led. We come alongside, they let us know, and we say, how can we encourage you? How can we support you? How can we equip you for what God is leading you to do? And uh, for us, a, a big part of that ministry that we want to see continue to develop is that of life groups. And a life group is simply a group of people who desire to intentionally grow in Christ-honoring friendship with each other. And that can look quite different. It doesn't need to look just one way. Some people might ask, well, how does a life group form? And the simple answer is this. It typically forms by one person stepping up and saying, I want to lead something. We call these people life group facilitators. And either a person steps forward or we find someone who, when we look at them, we say, here's a, here's a maturing believer in Christ. And I use the maturing because it's a desire to know Christ more. And here's also a person who, who serves sort of like a relational hub. They, they seem to be able to bring people together who might not otherwise meet. Those are two qualities that we look for in people that are these facilitators. And it's quite different than a leader, at least for me in my mind. When I hear a leader, I think of someone who might have to prepare a study or, or lead an event. Whereas a facilitator is someone who brings people together and primarily encourages them to offer, to ask them to give what God has given them. That when you come to an environment, that you come prepared to share what God has given you with your friends who you're meeting. There's also times, again, there's studies, there's service, but a big part of that we need to give to others what God has given us. And if we can do it in that type of environment, we're more likely do it, to do it at work or anywhere else we are. And so that's, uh, and then when those groups form, we often ask them, so are you complete as a group the way that you're looking at things? Or are you willing to invite people? Or are you willing to allow people to sign up? And then they let us know one way or the other. Uh, one thing that's happening right now is just a few weeks ago, a gentleman from our church, a couple from the church, said, we'd really like to have a life group that's focused on service. That's wonderful. I'd love to see something like that develop, where people say, let's go out and serve together. And they said, well, we've talked to a few people. We're not sure the commitment yet, but we'd like to have an exploratory meeting to see who this interests, and then we can make plans from there. 
perfect, wonderful. So not this Monday, but next Monday that's going to happen, and there's going to be information for you by Thursday about where it is. And if you want to explore that, you can go to that meeting, and we can find out what the Lord does from there. That's what I'd encourage you. If God has put something on your heart, come to us. Tell us what you'd like to do, and we want to help equip you and encourage you to do it. But as, uh, as life group coaches, there's uh, Cam Buchanan, Yvonne Garcia, Barb Brewer, and myself. We know that we also want to intentionally have ways a few times a year that there's places that they could just sign up for a group to get to know people. And so we've, I was listening to people, and I'd hear people say, you know, I have good friends, but we never spend time together. Or I really want to get to know God, but I never spend much time with him. I'd hear that quite regularly. We all have busy lives. And the thought life was, well, what about if we try to do a couple things together? And we just started saying, why don't we offer twice a year a short study through a devotional book that helps people who don't have a devotional life to start getting into the, to thinking about God regularly. And it also helps them to have something to say, you know what, our church is doing this 12-week study they can talk to a few of their friends and say, would you be willing to go through this study with me? Could we make that time to be together? And all of a sudden you realize that your friendship and your growth with God can go hand in hand. And for those people, we ask them, so are you complete? Do you have enough people that way? Or would you be willing to let anybody sign up? And if they say, oh, you know what, we'd love to meet some new people. We have room for four more or two more, whatever the number is. Those are called our seasonal life groups. So there's a core of friends who want to know other people. And a lot of those groups, as I told you last week, they've been around for four years. They're friendships that are growing, and it's dynamic. And so I just want to let you know that we're trying to find more and more ways to help us experience life together, and life groups is one of them. Praise God that over this last ministry year, we had over 140 people involved in 16 life groups. Seven of them were ones where they said, we want to invite people personally ourselves, and nine of them were personal life groups. And I'm thankful for that. And I'd love to see that in the year ahead that we see a variety of other life groups form, especially ones on service. I, I, for me right now, that's one of the ones I'd love to see continue to grow. So let's continue here. On the, on the other peak there, that's where we might see something like the Conquer series, where Steve just came and said, a few of you need to think about investing time in something like this. And I know the women have been saying, we really want to be focused on mentoring. And those types of environments are important in our church. The last thing I want to highlight is this. On the ski slope, it's dynamic. It's always moving. Every time you go down the slope, you have to think about where you're going to go next. It's not stagnant. In our lives with Christ, it should be that way too, that we're moving with him. We're always asking where he wants us to go. And there's also places of service just on the slope. There's places where people have to get on that chairlift. They need help. There's people on the top to help people get off and say, we're also here for your safety. We'll be looking out for you. But again, at the bottom, at that ski hill and that ski lodge, we all get together and we talk about our God and we worship him together. And we go out and we tell people about how great our God is. That's a hope for our church. So our purpose at WRBC at White Ridge Baptist Church is to nurture followers of Jesus Christ through healthy relationships. And I hope that you will consider how God is asking you to be a part of that journey. And I also hope that you take time to look through the connecting point brochure to find a few ways that you might be able to be involved. I want to say thank you to Doug for the ministry he's doing in discipleship of our church. He's doing good ministry, and um, 
You know, the whole come to the table thing was uh, really Doug's vision. He birthed it, and along with several teams that he is working with, uh, so many of the programs and the, much of the programming that we're able to offer has to do with the, the opportunity of creating spaces, like Doug was describing, of the three kind of sizes of groups that we're, we're moving in toward. And I hope that's your goal and your desire that God's put on your heart to want to move to the right, to, to want to move toward less superficiality and more intimacy and more intentionality in ministry and in relationship. Do you know, um, we, when we moved from 201 Skirfield to 2405 McGilvery, whether we liked it or not, we really did become less of a community church, and we became more of a commuter church. Now, that's not by design. That's not by intent. And we definitely want to be own White Ridge as a community and love on White Ridge and this whole area as a community. But just by virtue of growing bigger, by virtue of being on McGilvery and by other factors, we are more of a commuter church. And what do commuter churches need to do better? They need to learn how to create community better. And that's why what Doug is doing and what we are seeking to do in our programming, in our ministry planning, in our visioning of what it means to be church in this address and in this season of God's time on our lives, we need to do this better. So I want you to hear in all the things that Doug has been sharing, all the things that you're going to be hearing this coming year, it's all about learning to do ministry better and to seek to be community-oriented. And if last week I, I shared with you this picture uh, I've shared with you about Jesus and his interaction with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And I said to you that you were not designed to go to the well alone. In other words, you were not designed to go to Jesus, the well of living water, the, the, the spring of living water, by yourself. And so I want to say, in addition to that, that if, if you look at the realm of your relationships and the majority of your most close friendships are not people who love Jesus unashamedly, then I want you to know that you will find yourself going to the well alone, okay? Because most of the people that are important in your life are not close to Jesus. So where you go to get close to Jesus is all by yourself, and, and that kind of, a, of an individualistic relationship with God is not sustainable for a long time. You will not grow deep in your faith in Jesus without that fellowship, without community of faith. And that's what we believe deeply. That's why last week I shared with you about the five relationships. And um, so we're not meant to come to the well alone. We're made for community. I shared last week about the five relationships, the five core relationships that have been part of our church for a long time. And intimate relationship with God, loving relationships in our families, authentic relationships in the church, caring relationships with community, and meaningful relationships with people from other cultures. We believe that, that that's the context or the environment where we nurture followers of Jesus Christ through healthy relationships in those places. And yet there's something in every one of us that, that is opposed to that. We're opposed to getting closer to people. We have a, a thing in our lives called pride that, that, that inhibits, that causes us to push against the ones that we should be drawing near to. And the one virtue that we need more than any other virtue is the virtue of, of humility. And so how is it that humility can help us experience Christ's friendship 
and how can it help us extend Christ's friendship. This morning I was going to do a bit of a study of a, a fellow named King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4. I'm not going to I'm not going to refer to him right now at length except to say that after God sent four young men into his life, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, after God sent four young men to his life that, that really showed him God, he had to humble himself. And because he didn't humble himself, he had to learn lessons on humility. And it says in, in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 37, he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt the Lord our God, because those who walk in pride, he says, he is able to humble. So in other words, if you don't humble yourself, God is able to humble you. I want to... It was 2008, I believe, when Pat and I still lived in Bolivia, and we were leading a, a seminary class in spiritual formation. And I took, I took the seminary students to a jungle region about three hours east of Cochabamba. And uh, while we were there, in the morning devotions, I was teaching on the, how, how it is that sin separates us from each other. And uh, there was a table there, a very sturdy table that I was teaching behind. And there was at the edge of the patio a pile of brick. And I asked the students one by one to go to the pile of brick and to take one brick and to take it off the pile and put it on the table that was ahead of me. And when they put the brick down, I said, you need to name the sin that you identify with on that brick before you sit down. And so they came from the t pile of brick and one by one they came forward. One said slander. Another one came forward said envy. Another one came forward said gossip. Another one came forward and, and said covetousness. And, and on and on it went. About, after about 20 students, there was this wall of brick that, that kept me, that separated me from the rest of them. Because that's what sin does is, is that sin separates us. And when I asked them, which brick is pride? One of them said the top brick, one of them said the bottom, but it was a trick question because I said pride is the table that the wall of sin is built on. Pride is the table that the wall of sin is built on in every one of our lives. Why is it? Because God's Word says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Pride is the father of all vice, even as humility is the mother of all virtue. And it is pride that keeps us from drawing closer to one another. It is pride that led to Lucifer's downfall from heaven. Pride that led to the building of the Tower of Babel. Pride that hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Pride that led to the undoing of King Saul. Pride that drove King Nebuchadnezzar insane. Pride is what will separate us from each other and from God. And we all want to somehow live in a safe zone. There is a safe zone of relationship. You can come to church and you can project the image that you want others at church to see about you. And you can do the same with God. You can keep in the safe zone with God. But sin and pride lead us to keep a safe distance in our relationships for fear of being known and for fear of rejection. But when you understand the grace of God, the grace of God teaches us to draw near to God and one another and to find deeper intimacy and joy in spite of the vulnerability. In spite of the vulnerability. 
And every one of us need this, folks. Every one of us need to have deepening relationships, trusting, growing relationships where we can be ourselves, where we can know and be known. And if you don't have a few of those in your life, then God wants you to grow that. He wants you to come to the well with others. He wants you to come to the well where the deepest things of your life get addressed in fellowship with others who love Jesus. Do you know that you're only as sick as your secrets, folks? You're only as sick as your secrets. And that double life that all of us can live so well at is something that God wants to shine the light on with a few other trusted believers that we're going to journey on the life path with. It may start at a come-to-the-table meal. It may start in a precept Bible study. It may start serving together in the world somewhere. But it's going to grow if you are intent on following the Holy Spirit's lead in your life. Back in uh, April, the board and the staff and the deacons of our church had an overnight retreat at St. Benedict's. And uh, we studied a little bit more about what God was asking of us and we came to understand that God wanted us to focus on humility and that this new season of growing together in this new place that God's given us is meant to be all about growing in awe of God and in authenticity with each other. And so as I conclude this morning, I want you to know that in the coming year, we have decided to focus our attention of steps in growing humility before God and with one another. With God, it means growing in awe of Him. I love what, I well, I love what um, David, Paul David Tripp said. He said, we don't have a law problem. We have an awe problem. In other words, we don't have a law problem trying to obey God out of drudgery. That's not the problem. If that's the problem in your life, you're missing the point. God doesn't want a bunch of begrudging givers. We have an awe problem because when you fall in love with God and when you're in awe of God, you have no problem opening up your life to somebody, serving the Lord in some way. You've got an awe problem. So we want to grow in awe of God and we want to grow in authenticity with one another. And as the board and staff began to study this thing, we decided to ask, well, how is it that we're going to grow in humility? Let me mention five dangers of putting humility as the goal of your life, okay? Number one, I want to say, first it, felt, it could feel very lame, lame and counterintuitive to stand before you as a pastor and announce that our ministry plan for the coming year is humility. It may look like we're just being lazy. So that's number one that I faced. Number two, the danger of setting up humility as a goal is that it's difficult to measure. I mean, we could get really proud of being humble, you know, and how will you know if you ever get there? Number three, we realize that humility should be a goal of every day of every year. And so why make it an exclusive goal for the ministry year of 2019 and 20? Fourthly, we recognize and we wrestled with the fact that after pursuing humility, we could, at the end of this coming year, actually feel like we are more proud than the, year we, than the beginning of the year when we started. In other words, when you set your sights on pursuing humility, you could end up God shining the light on so much of your pride that you end the year thinking, I'm actually more proud. And our goal is not to think more highly than we ought to of ourselves, nor more lowly than we ought to think. Our goal is just to not think so much about ourselves and more about God and more about others. That's what humility looks like. And then finally, the danger of this is that 
and I've, I and the staff have been talking about this one, we realize that when we set our goal of ministry plans this coming year on humility, that we might make our plans on how to grow in humility, but God has a wonderful way of growing us in humility in ways that we did not plan. And they're usually a lot more effective. So how are we going to do this? In a nutshell, this is what we're going to do this year. We are going to set our sights on growing in humility by doing the things that grow humility according to the Scriptures. Now I'm not going to go quickly, I'm not going to go through in, in detail, but I want to give you that we have made a study of Scripture. It is not an exhaustive study. We don't have time this morning to go through this. But I want to tell you that we are going to be going through Scripture in Genesis this year, and we're going to be, we're going to be looking at humility as we go. But we're going to be examining Scripture, and in the events and programming of our year, we're going to try and do what Scripture says creates humility in a people. Now, I'm not going to read the Scripture, but let me read to you what I learned, for example, from Isaiah chapter 6. Humility grows as we grow in awe of God and have a vision of His holiness, as we have a realization of our uncleanness and experience His merciful cleansing, as we respond to His call to go out in His name. Micah 6.8, humility grows as we act justly toward others, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. 1 Peter 5, 6, humility grows as we learn to cast all our cares and anxieties on God who cares for us instead of going everywhere else with our cares and anxieties. Go to God. 2 Chronicles 7, 14, humility grows as we, a people, pray and seek God's face and turn from our wicked ways. Daniel 4, 37, Nebuchadnezzar, he said, humility grows as we give God the glory for all the things he does and we don't take the credit ourselves. Isaiah 58, humility grows as we fast and as we pray and as we turn from seeking our own agendas to thinking of others and as we live justly and show compassion to our world. Isaiah 66, humility grows as we recognize God as creator and as we revere his word with true contrition. Matthew 11, humility grows as we find our soul rest from our weariness in being yoked together with Jesus Christ. James 5 and 1 John 1, 7, we said, Humility grows as we walk in the light with one another, confess our sins to one another, and pray for the healing of our brokenness together. That's a real quick trip, I know. But I just want you to know that you're going to be hearing more about this theme in the days to come. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And as we, as we conclude our service this morning, thank you for your patience in staying a little longer, but as we conclude our service this morning, I would invite you to be thinking about how it is that God wants to grow us in humility. I want you to be thinking about how it is that, that He wants us to be deepening our understanding of what that means to be in awe of God and in authenticity with each other. And let me ask you to stand now. And let me ask us to uh, just ask the Lord to help us. Heavenly Father, we pray that even as we have set our sights on humility, our sights are set on Jesus. And we thank you, Lord God, for the precious example you gave us in your Son. We thank you also, God, that, that Lord, you're able, you're able to humble those who walk in pride. And instead, we choose this year to humble ourselves before you. And so help us, O oh Father. This is your church. We want to do your business. And it wants to, we want it to start with us, Lord. So begin with each one of us and 
Bring your humbling so that we might not be opposed by you, but we might find grace and, and grow in you. In Jesus' name.